The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com. There is an undeniable and exciting change occurring in organizational learning and talent development across the globe. The shift away from conventional approaches of instructional design is giving way to a focused movement towards a practice known as learning experience. GP Strategies has been at the forefront of the learning experience movement and recently reorganized its learning services practice to more fully reflect its importance under a new division called GP Learning Experience. Hi, I'm Michael Teal, host of the Performance Matters podcast. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with two luminaries of the GP Learning Experience team to discover more about the practice and the new perspectives learning experience holds for the future of learning. In my conversation with Andrew Jolly, head of strategy for GP Learning Experience, and Ella Richardson, Global Head of Consulting and Experience Design for GP Learning Experience, we ran the learning experience gamut, discovering the history and evolution of learning experience on through very specific ways it is helping to unlock greater human and organizational performance. Now, I certainly walked away with a much broader appreciation of the concept of learning experience, and I'm sure you will too. Thanks for tuning in. Let's have a listen. For our global listeners, what I want to do is is first start out, Andrew, by asking you this question. Why are we talking about learning experience today? So why is this an emerging and important topic? It's a really interesting question, Michael. It's the sort of starting point, really. Our industry has been shifting incrementally for decades, and it's become a very exciting place to be. Uh, in the uh, 20-something years that I have been creating what you might call learning or training content of many different sorts, it feels like almost every week uh, the opportunities to do things in a new way grow to us as learning people, as learning designers and providers of learning to, uh, to business. And the old view of, of learning as training and everything that that says in the way we use it, and indeed learning content and everything that says, feels less and less appropriate. And we, our team, GP Learning Experience team, are in a really interesting moment because we've, uh, in the last six months, brought together two teams into one and are making a kind of our presence felt in a new and exciting way within a large uh, organization. And we're taking the value of our wonderful team out to our customers in a new way as well. And we're using the term learning experience. So we chose this phrase uh, and this moment to kind of put it out there and put it on the table. And I think that's why this moment to have this this podcast is really exciting. It, we're sort of triggered by events but it's made us reflect really, really hard on what we do and how it's shifting. Andrew, that's really interesting. Ella, what's your perspective on this? Andrew's making me you know, think about things now as I'm hearing him talking. It's only ever so often that you get the opportunity to reflect on what it is and, and why we do it. I think having, you know, having lived through the last few years as we did through a pandemic, 
but also just generally, you know, the pace of change in the world at large, the kinds of technological advances that we're seeing every day. Uh, you know, my background, our understanding really of, of human psychology and behavior change, all of these things are evolving and emerging. And it means that we really need to reflect on what it is that we do, why we do it and how we do it. We've been really lucky, um, as Andrew was saying, to have that opportunity to reflect, you know, really over the last 18 months, but critically over the last six months. And for us to define learning experience as the, you know, how we, what we bring to market and how we work was about being very clear and inclusive in our focus. So Andrew, you know, looking at this, I know you've been involved in the design of learning for you know, not to date us all here, but for at least a couple of decades, right? So it's plus, plus, plus on that end. So just from your perspective uh, in the year 2023 and looking back retrospectively, how have we got to this point where this, this topic and this notion of learning experience is now paramount within our industry? You're making me feel really old there, Michael. <laughs> I've got the wrinkles too, so don't feel too bad. Yeah, well, I came into this industry at a moment when it felt like there was a big change just happening. And that was the kind of digital learning revolution, if you like. And we were on the edges of inventing what then became called e-learning, good e-learning, I would say. And since then, as I said, everything has changed and grown. And there have been moments when it feels like there's been a step change, you know, the digital and the use of just being able to have the bandwidth to create really lovely digital experiences was a massive change. Things like social, you know, when digital learning started, it was a solitary um, experience, people learning at their, at their com you know, huge computers in their offices. Um, and then, you know, things like social learning, gamified learning and different ways that learning started to be talked about from not just events or or courses but learning of different sorts you know just in time learning and just in case you know when people started to talk about that the light bulb went on and people go oh so there are different sorts of learning here there are different needs that our learners have at different times of their working life or even their careers there are moments when you do need a structured course because you need that guidance through a, a kind of process, that an arc, if you like, or whatever. But then there are other moments when you just need the answer to something quickly. And that's all been kind of wrapped up in the learning term um, over the years. It's still kind of a big umbrella term. Um, we didn't split it all out, although there are components, you know, people talk about performance support and so on and so on, but it's all within this kind of big um, umbrella. And I think, you know, the emergence of thinking that changed with that, people thinking about blends, you know, it doesn't have to be one thing anymore. It's not just digital or just face-to-face. -face. It could be a bit of both. And, and again, that was a light bulb moment. And that coincided with people talking about space practice. Well, isn't this really good not to just do some learning and then run away? You know, these kind of changes have led us to this amazing place we're at now where the term learning it, uh, encompasses so many different things. And um, I think that it puts us, as I say, in a really exciting place and one where 
we can flip the way we think about what we do in a number of interesting ways. And one of those is to think about what the learners are experiencing and and also what the businesses are delivering and how it works for all stakeholders, all partners in this interesting story. So, you know, Ella, I know that um, you have an incredible background as well, but you're coming at this from a different generation than Andrew and I. I mean, I think Andrew and I are more of what we'd call, at least in the United States, the Gen X group here. And, you know, you're coming from the fresh millennial take on this. So, you know, since you are the global head of consulting and experience design, what's your perspective on what we mean by learning experience? I'm curious to hear your side of it. Yeah, I always think it's an interesting thing, you know, thinking about the the generational differences. There's huge value in looking at like how the expectations of people change over time, but also there's often so much more in common than not um which you know we find fascinating like there are people in the workforce now who just want things at their fingertips there are young people coming in you know we've got gen z's who apparently are more likely to call up their parents for support um when they can't use a printer because they've never had to use these things you know (laughs) totally unintelligible (laughs) and those are the kinds of support networks so i find that fascinating but thinking about really like the expectations of the past. I've been with the organization for 11 years and I've really seen the kind of business pressure to be very kind of once and done. But what we know is that that really doesn't bear truth with all of the findings about how people learn. And that's really our raison d'etre, right? It's like, how do we bring the the person and the individual back to the kinds of challenges that we're supporting organizations with? And I think when we're talking about learning experience, we're past the place where we are treating humans as these kind of vessels to imbue knowledge with. And I think it's important to recognize that in all that we do, we're ultimately seeking to drive people's performance. And and to do that, we need to change change behavior. You can't drive behavioral change by developing arbitrary objectives and dumping content. We really have to take a a human-centered approach and seek to understand the needs and motivations of people and I think it's important also to stay open to other possibilities but also be very squarely focused on what it is that we're trying to achieve whether we're designing an intervention that is you know highly complex or something that's really elegant beautifully elegant in its simplicity we want to ensure that the focus is really on the experience that's created for the individual the kind of social psychological view is an experience is one that leads to kind of a cognitive change and underpins the performance behavior. So it's, you know, conscious awareness, that phenomenon, and the reflective interpretation, which enables someone to generate memories and change behavior. And when we talk about learning experience, to create a memorable or a transformative experience that leads to learning, it really requires people to engage or interact with it. So what we're talking about is not something someone being passive you know it's intentional interaction that's vital because if they're not attentive and paying attention then no experience will result we also typically see you know in a when we're talking about learning experience a great learning experience is their emotive it's about creating emotional peaks enabling people to feel emotion to be changed and to gain insight from that yeah that was really interesting ella because there's another thing to go back to this idea that we now have multiple channels to reach our learners in a business. You know, learning experience 
the full range of things that we have in our box of tricks is extraordinary now. It's not just face-to-face or digital. It's a whole different range of different sorts of digital from gamified learning to micro-learning to performance support materials. It's different sorts of events. It's video. It's how a manager talks to their staff, how the leadership talk to the learner. It's how the culture of learning in an organization is all wrapped into this. There are literally probably Mm. dozens and dozens of different types of engagement that we can bring together. And if you do that right, they magnify the experience that Ella is talking about. Because if you build a kind of golden thread, and I think we'll talk about design in a minute, but if you're saying the same thing in a touch point that a learner has with their manager, the manager saying something to them, or there's a nuance of that engagement that the manager's having with their people, And that is supported by communication from the business, different learning events that they go on, digital experiences, the way an infographic looks and speaks to them. If all of this is supporting itself, it's kind of building out exponential power of connecting with the learners in the right way. We talk about touch points. We talk about all the different touch points that make the learning experience work. And We now have that kind of privilege, if you like, to work with organizations, with our customers, and use all of that to help build the performance in a really, really interesting way. All right, Andrew and Ella, you have shared so many great tips and strategies and insights in terms of what you mean by learning experience, how it is evolving. But we also know learning has a purpose. You mentioned performance. And there's nothing more meaningful when we mean performance than what we mean by bottom line value to the business. So, Ella, I'm going to put you on the spot here and let me ask you, where is the payoff or the value today in this new learning experience design approach? Like it's in the title of the podcast, <laughs> I was thinking as you, were, as you were asking that. It's very much about being able to target interventions to drive maximum impact for the business. Earlier, we were talking about the the visceral and the need for the personal experience, but the learning and development industry has had quite a bad rap historically for irrelevant, ineffective training, see unconscious bias training in recent years. Um, And more recently, we've seen the exponential growth of content services, which can be amazing and can also be overwhelming. So... I think it's probably fair to say, isn't it, that we've seen more requests for curation support than ever in the last few years as a result of of that boom. But I think the preference and the value here for the organisations that we're working with is to have smart design built in from the get-go. So demonstrating value through critical thinking skills because there is still amazingly a real huge opportunity to be assessing effectiveness beyond the use, completion, and did you like it of learning interventions. I actually also wanted to touch on a couple of examples. So it stuck with me. There's this brilliant example Mm. from McDonald's when they wanted to improve their milkshake Mm. sales and assuming that they needed to invest in driving sales with children and targeting parents, but it wasn't effective. And when they actually went and analysed what was happening, they were looking at the sales and they noticed that most of them were in the morning. 
And so they eventually went into uh, restaurants and they were stopping in to interview people around 8am. And it was then that they realised that the majority of the sales were actually from commuters who were treating themselves to a liquid <laughs> breakfast, you know, sugary high that they could on the way to work. A milkshake in the morning, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They really needed to think about where they were targeting. The solution could have been very different if their understanding of the need wasn't accurate. And when we're thinking about learning experiences and the kind of outcomes that we're driving, we need to ensure that we're driving the right outcomes for the business. I've also spent time within a mining company and thinking about that when we were working several hundred mm. feet underground, looking at how to instill safety behaviors, I was asking the difference between those people who followed the good risk practices and those who didn't. It's probably no surprise, but those who had witnessed or experienced an accident were so much better at protecting themselves and others. And one of the other greatest risks or threats to life was tiredness. And what that meant was we could identify there are actually structural changes that we can explore and we can focus on the risks of tiredness and how to stay safe. So it's thinking about what is it that we're actually trying to affect in the business, doing some of that due diligence to make sure that we're diagnosing the problem accurately. And then we're able to create the kinds of experiences. In that case, it was taking people out of sitting in a mm. classroom, sharing the theory and the model of risk assessment, but actually getting them to experience a fall of ground in AR and highlighting some of the risk factors and what they can mm. do to keep others safe are the things that fundamentally change the outcomes for the business. Yeah, that's that's powerful stuff. And Andrew, I, I think I've heard you speak on this before. Uh, and it's the, the shift on learning experience is less about content and more about what Ella is referring to. And that is really dialing in and understanding what the learner needs and what will impact their change. Is yeah, that fair yeah to say? De definitely. Ella's story reminded me of her story as well. I mean, I think the thing is, you know, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Way back, we were <laughs> in a world where the solution was always what you were comfortable with as an L&D team providing you know i remember being asked by a big insurance organization to develop 10 courses around 10 new products that they were releasing to their customers and they needed their salespeople who were on phones talking to their customers to be able to sell the 10 new products and we talked to them about what the real learning need was and uh, in actual fact they had a pretty good performance support system that would take the sales team into the right product area but people didn't really know how to use it well enough so we said well if we don't create 10 whole courses that people have to go through which sounds to me like not a very uh, effective use of everybody's time anyway unless it's really needed but instead create a module that actually does the performance support system training really well and a video that in a very succinct way, introduces this new family of products that are coming through and gets people enthused and motivated, then that will do the job. And that's what we did. We actually, mm. you know, did a little pivot, invested in some smaller interventions that were much more powerful. And it's that kind of opportunity that we have now to think about what the solution is. And it, in fact, it could be a far lower cost solution as well. 
and sometimes simpler is what you need. But, you know, we have this amazing kind of array of things that we can now bring to play to support people in decision making and, and so on in their workplace. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's really exciting the shift towards a performance mindset, because what I'm hearing from you both is it's opening up a, a whole new paradigm of what should be done, right? You're looking at truly what's going to move the business forward. And then the answers from a learning experience design may have nothing to do with the traditional thing of, you know, somebody who's, who's out there saying, well, we want to sell more, let's put out you know, 10, whatever, you know, and, and that's going to, that's going to make it happen. Right. And you're saying, wait a second, that might not even be the right solution. The might, the right solution might be far easier and simpler to move the needle. And, and that's what your team is doing. So what I'm going to do though, is, you know, ask a question I'm sure some of our listeners are having, and that would be, tell me some of the theory or the science or the evidence behind this approach, because it does sound exciting. But surely, you know, GP, a globally renowned company, has some evidence behind it. So let me see a hand raise. Who wants to feel that one first? Ella. Okay, Ella, go for it here. I've put, I've put, I'm putting you on the warm seat here. Every situation is unique. And I think one of the things that in terms of how we do it is always really starting with audience needs. We've seen and we borrowed and lent on you know, design thinking, thinking about user experience and it's one of the most important things is understanding the context and really being empathetic and curious about the situation and the people we're designing for. In terms of the evidence, we've lent on research from people like BJ Fogg, who runs the Behaviour Design Lab at Stanford, where many of the early kind of digital app design stemmed from. And he looks at habit formation. So, you know, making things sticky and there's kind of three factors in that, the, the motivation, ability, and then prompt design. More latterly, you know, we've been using Combi, which is a really well-established behavior change framework, which Susan Mickey at uh, UCL Center for Behavior Change, um, she's brought us actually the, the behavior change wheel framework. You know, thinking critically about capabilities, the opportunity to demonstrate behaviors and then the motivation underlies it as well because all of these things need to be in place in order to basically be able to bring a behavior to life i think what we've seen historically is there's a real focus on skills and capability but much less so on the environmental context and the situational kind of analysis that people are undergoing which is why i say the important thing for us is always understanding specifically the people that we are enabling and what it is that they're trying to do in the context of the organization that they're in. One of the things that I'm passionate about and uh, I'd like to see the industry moving towards more is empirical, evidence-based, research-driven hmm. uh, delivery. There is nothing stopping us really doing A-B tests, actually evaluating the impact of some of the work that we do. So it's less about what's worked in other contexts, but actually in the here and now, how can we evidence and demonstrate what it is that's working or critically not working about the needs of the organization or the individuals that we're working with at this point in time. I also just want to make a point, you know, to dig into one of those aspects. I said we, we often see the kind of skills and capability focused on the other piece that we don't necessarily or we should give more, I think, 
credence to or thought in is human motivation. So if you've heard of self-determination theory, it's about agency. Humans have this real need for autonomy, competence and relatedness. And, and that's something which you know fundamentally underlies growth and development. So having a mandatory course where you need to click through <laughs> stuff isn't, isn't, you know, really like feeding, killing, isn't it? Yeah. Feeding <laughs> and that's one of the things where we really bring that through to our practice in terms of understanding the needs and motivations of audiences, because that really helps us to unlock successful experience design. It's foundational to, to our practice. Well, I'm really glad Ella took that question first. Uh, I certainly can't add much to it, but a kind of practical model underpinning a lot of what we do. The thing that I wanted to add is that in the early days of doing what we do, we realized there were a couple of really important things that uh, factors that influenced the way learning worked in business. Again, these were kind of light bulb moments. One of those you wouldn't be surprised to hear was how people turn up to the learning event, if you like, if you call it an event. Hmm. You know, are they ready? And as just picking up on what Ella said, are they motivated? Do they understand the benefits of doing it? Are they ready to invest their time and, and effort in this and, and with, you know, with energy and all those things? And that's a kind of broadly a sort of alignment. Or is there something that a little bit of learning they need just to put them in the right place to get the best out of the learning we're going to give them? Check that they understand the fundamentals as they walk through the kind of virtual door, if you like. That was mm. one really important thing, the sort of alignment thing. The other one was, not surprisingly, was how people behave after great learning experience and sustaining the learning over time. Otherwise, you know, we all know you get massive knowledge drop off. But really, it's about doing, applying what you've learned as quickly as possible, building it into repeated behaviors and so on and so on. And so all of our teams have an underpinning of thinking around what we call align, deliver, sustain. And there are many versions of this in our industry with slightly different sort of words that might replace those three. It's practical, on the ground uh, model and theory that we've just seen work time and time and time again that underpin, you know, the kind of why it worked for me. So obviously we've got a real blend going on here you're focusing on human motivation and you are truly performance chefs at the lx team in terms of mixing it up so andrew just uh briefly without naming names or getting overly detailed and revealing you know secrets here can you just walk us through um, if you have a client uh, opportunity what would this lx design approach look like as it unfolds I'll hand over to Ella for that in a minute, but I'm going to not answer your question, Michael, and say, I was just thinking as you were asking that. Are you a U.S. politician? I mean, that's exactly what I was what thinking what, what hasn't <laughs> changed. What, what hasn't changed, okay, okay. is understanding, okay. you know, the audience needs, the business needs deeply, the performance gaps, and so on and so on. These have been at the heart of our kind of DNA as learning designers forever. And so there's a whole lot of stuff that, you know, that is still there. And it has remained, there's a whole lot of profound principles in what we do as learning designers that have not changed, is really what I'm saying. The interesting point okay. is when you kind of then go, okay, we, we understand that, you know, you, you've got this amazing opportunity here. And if you think about the whole, 
as a learning intervention, then yep, there's some stuff that's all the same. You know, what does the business need? What do the audience need? What's the environment? What's the ecosystem in which this this learning event is happening, uh, et cetera? What is the attitude of my learners and so on? And then there's that moment when suddenly you now have the opportunity of working with so many different touch points, channels, media types, and so on. And that's when it becomes really interesting. So I would just wanted to say something about what hasn't changed. And now I'm going to hand it over to Ella there. So we look at the uh, channels and, and touch points, but also critically some of the constraints we have to work with. And I just wanted to mention, so, you know, you know, we typically have a quite a large toolkit, but it varies. There might be some situations where some kinds of activities or environments might be more suitable than others. What I wanted to just touch on was uh, Andrew mentioned the you know align deliver sustain methodology that we've been using for a number of years and it's just to say that we also think about the macro level of the learning experience as well as more of the like zooming into a micro level because depending on you know what it is that we're trying to drive if you're learning to crawl walk and run we may have to split that into various kind of episodes of experiences and add those up to some of the macro views so for larger programs, we may develop patterns, you know, that fit into the kind of align, deliver, sustain um, methodology. But then we think about, you know, what are the different types of way that we may help someone to acquire knowledge or practice or produce something or have discussions. And you asked about specifically kind of around our, our process. And we will literally map out some of those touch points, who's involved, who the key actors are. And... I hope what you can see in that is basically we can layer and build experiences, but also critically to Andrew's point earlier, we're creating multiple opportunities for that anticipation and reflection, which enables the sustained engagement and the application and reinforcement of learning and over time. The the end result, by the way, Michael, will include all the modes of content you know, to come back to content and everybody who's sitting here thinking, does this mean we're not creating content? No, no, no. We're creating content. We're creating content of all different sorts, whether it's face-to-face, classroom, virtual, hybrid, microlearns, e-learning, of all sort of colors and richness, values, and so on and so on. And, you know, the modern learning organization is looking at how all of the different kind of types of learning, whether it's highly scaled PDFs that people can access quickly, that probably have a kind of shelf life of two months before another product comes out and that lot are thrown away, you know, put the next set of information up for everybody to a leadership program that an organization is going to invest a lot of money in creating for that organization that's going to be up there pretty much, you know, running for five years and is a whole different thing. The range of components is huge, but what you recognize now as learning content is in there. It's just thinking beyond the sort of component view, really, which is really interesting. The way I like to conceptualize it is we're designing experiences, but content can be one like part of the output. We once designed a leadership program for young leaders and it had multiple kind of modes of delivery, including your typical kind of senior leadership call to action. They got a specialized invite to the program. 
we shared digital learning and a website featuring storytelling from real colleagues. And then we went into a two day, like immersive conference with one day featuring a live theater mm. piece where the audience, the delegates, the attendees would vote on what they wanted to happen. So they could, you know, they could play, they could play out the consequences of their decisions in real life. And then through to a session where they were tackling challenges in, in groups, which they then had to pitch and play back their findings for the, you know, the strategy to senior leaders in person. And as part of that, they built a network and then they had resources that supported them and their learnings on the job. That's the kind of thing where it's not necessarily like a binary experience. It's much more kind of fluid and melodic in some ways. But it's really like in designing that, we had to understand where is it we're taking these people from and to? And what are the needs of the organization in that? You know, what are the business drivers? And equally, what kinds of threads can we put on in terms of technology and the environment and the organization that's actually going to help us to create a sustained mm change for these people. I mean, that takes business theater to a new level there, Ella. That's That sounds amazing. And, um, you know, as someone who has had a chance to see some of the work that the LX team has put together, I mean, it is, it's almost like uh, there, there's the show 24 from uh, about 20 years ago here in the US that was a huge hit. And a lot of the work that I've seen from your team from an experience design replicates that, but obviously in the learning world, it's, it's just, it's, it's amazing stuff. So that's testament to that. So a couple questions for you both here, you know, for those that are um, traditionally classically trained instructional designers or instructional systems designers or anything like that, in your mind, what's the difference between the, the traditional instructional designer and a learning experience designer? I mean, is, and then I would say the second part is, is there room for both? I mean, can they coexist or is it is it a shape shift? I mean, that kind of thing. Who wants to take that one? Before we go to the differences, I think I'd start with the similarities because both instructional design and learning experiences are about helping people fundamentally to learn, you know, to increase the transfer of knowledge, to engage people, to give people a way to, a prompt to act. We communicate concise and clear messages and we think about achievement of goals they're both goal oriented but instructional design has been around for much longer it's a field that's been goes back to 40s 50s but it actually incorporates many elements of learning experience design as well learning experience design i think we've the first references emerged around 2007 Mm. maybe 2007 2010 so we're not talking about something radically new here but it is broader and it's really about employing a different differentiated kind of thought processes like you know design thinking I mentioned user experience design interaction design the field of neuroscience and cognitive psychology which is you know ever evolving and we fundamentally still don't understand that much about the brain <laughs> it's moving at pace so I would say it's more of an interdisciplinary field of expertise but incorporating elements of these different disciplines but instructional design and learning experience design are both goal-oriented and human-centered to me it's about thinking and challenging the important thing is about whatever we call it we're resisting the pressure to 
just churn out mm, information heavy right. training content and we're actually thinking about conducting analysis when we need to and we're pushing the boundaries for the kinds of experiences yeah. that we can create right. that help that's, people learn. that's perfect Ella. Yeah. i think the the other thing I'd add is that it doesn't mean that we're losing the specialisms. You know, we're really lucky enough to have a, an amazing team of what you might call learning experience designers. We've got people who specialize in great face-to-face -face experiences, facilitating workshops, designing great workshops. And we've got people who design great gamified learning experiences or immersive experiences. So we still have the specialisms. But as Ella says, the perfect learning experience designer is challenging themselves always and able to bring in those people into their team, perhaps, when they want to create a journey that includes the best parts of what others do. I think we're really lucky to work in a team like ours, where we can maintain some specialisms, but also have the higher level designers who are kind of designing the whole journey from a sort of the perspective of looking down on all the different components as well. So there is definitely a shift. There is a role and an important role for instructional designers, for learning experiences designers. It's a broader set of questions that we're looking at. So from a customer mindset here, Andrew, do customers need to change their attitude to learning and what they're looking to invest in? What's your thoughts on that? Well, the answer is yes, but they are. They, they absolutely are. You know, I think our customers are thinking about their employees and their learners in very, very different ways now. Employee experience is at the top of the agenda. How you get people into your organization, look after them, nurture them, grow them, change them as your organization changes is something that is right up the top. And it's no surprise that the term talent is now as ubiquitous as learning or L&D in most of the conversations we're having. So I think the answer is, is yes, absolutely. They do need to think differently. They need to think about the opportunity if they're not thinking this way. But the real answer is they are. The world is changing so fast and businesses are adapting. And I think that L&D is adapting to keep up. And to be honest, I think L&D has, hmm. has to run a tiny bit faster to keep up right now. And this is what we're doing, I think. By having this conversation, we're kind of going, come on, come on, move forward and meet <laughs> the needs of your business and your people right where they need you. One of my colleagues went to see a customer the other day and he came back saying they are so focused to bring it back to something you mentioned earlier, Michael, but you know, all of their uh, new starters are Gen Z. And they've all been raised on a diet of Xbox <laughs> and social media. And um, saying, so, you know, that's the reality. That's the expectation. Now, I'm not suggesting that we that we, that we produce everything to be like Call of Duty. <laughs> right. or, but it does kind of speak to the changing expectations that we talked about earlier. And how organizations are realizing that they have to respond before it's too late. But one of the things that I think... I'd like to see more of is probably the openness to discovery. And there are lots of organizations that are really recognizing the value of this. But equally, we do encounter procurement teams who just want to buy a solution. And 
we're often looking at going, there might be a more intelligent way mm -hmm. to answer this question. You know, to what extent are you going to be open to trying something different? Stakeholder management can be an issue for some organizations because people sometimes want to see what they expect to see. And so we get lots of requests for traditional solutions really focused on the problems that organizations or some people in them think that they have. And I feel like the best situations are when we're open to diving into the problem rather than leading with the treatment. And we often say now, can you afford to get it wrong? How about we spend 10 to 25% of our time and budget just making sure mm. that we get it right? Because then we can also generally offer more of that targeted, leaner, more elegant solution, possibly even more cost effective that we can then demonstrate whether it is more effective. And that could be a TikTok video. So Ella, it sounds like there's obviously a, a need to shift to the mindset of, are we targeting the right things? And I think that leads us to uh, a natural following question. And that is, how do we measure to determine if we're making changes? I mean, is there been a shift there with the shift to more of an LX mindset? Yes and no. I think the imperative here is that we need to shift towards measuring outcomes. I think we see a fairly kind of mixed bag in this space. The reality is we need to know what's working. And ideally what that means is looking very squarely at the actual business KPIs and data streams that we can capture. And often there are a lot of these existing within the business. It's thinking beyond measuring learning to actual empirical evidence of the business and behavior change. We're very fortunate to have been working in this space for a number of years and being able to see not only some of the indicators of behavior and impact on businesses, which have given us a richness, you know, for example, using XAPI mm. and some of our that we've delivered that enable us to trace right from an intervention through to the business outcome. Fundamentally, it requires some thinking and investment in interrogating, hypothesizing, you know, drilling into some of the data, conducting like research within the organization as we deploy. So firstly through piloting, then as we manage go lives. The really interesting thing about it as well for me that gets me really excited is then what that does is also unlocks the potential to be designing by data. Mm -hmm. So thinking about how we drive experience design off the back of that inquiry into the data to actually help us improve what we're doing going forward. So it's introducing the testing rigor, you know, in the hypothesizing, but we can also deploy alternative solutions and measure impact. That's the, the A-B testing. And the reality is sometimes we're finding you land on something amazing and sometimes you find things aren't working. Yeah. What do we split the gold mine or the landmine, <laughs> Andrew? But the point being that actually even understanding what we shouldn't be doing is immensely valuable to the business. And actually we can start to use the insights that we're gathering from learning about the deployment in order to influence what we do tomorrow, next week, next year to further start to move the needle um, for the business. You know, what you're referring to, Ella, when it comes to measuring true business outcomes is something that really was the holy grail even four or five years ago. People would always say, oh, let's do level three or level four measurement, you know, truly business outcome measurement. And then when you would try to get down to the brass tacks of making that happen, 
it was not scalable for most people. And then with so many of the fantastic technologies that uh, Learning Technologies Group has within the portfolio, that is now very practical. And um, I can see the power of having the LX team be able to leverage and bring some of those tools in, into the forefront there. So, Andrew, I know as the head of strategy, you surely have some perspectives on measurement as well. So anything to add to what Ella so eloquently uh, stated? Difficult to add to. I think, you know, this question came up way back when we thought we were getting on top of measuring the impact of learning and suddenly we were talking 70, 20, 10 and all the cards were up in the air again and people went, mm -hmm. well, are you how you can't measure learning in a 70, 20, 10 world if that's the way people are learning? And the answer is, well, you, you can. And XAPI, as Ella said, has been a great answer. But again, as Ella says, it's moved us to the right place in the whole question. I remember working on a massive risk program for an organization, and it was a fully blended experience. And we were able to not only look at how people were behaving in terms of the learning that they were doing in a more traditional sense, how were they doing with the e-learning? What kind of scores were they getting in the assessments? But we were able to look at whether they were downloading the videos, whether they were taking the in the forums. Mm. We even were able to see how often the word risk came up in some of the internal conversations that were happening in the organization. So wow. you can pull all this stuff together. And then exactly as Ella says, you then have a picture not only of how that program has gone, but what is resonating with your learners? What are they having trouble with? Which channels work for which cohorts in your organization? Perhaps leadership will respond to very different types of media experience or learning experience modes than different parts of an organization might. So I think then you learn from that and you get better and you continuously improve. And the world starts evolving the way it is now. Well, listen, I know you two have been very generous with your time. I know it's nearing dinner time over there in England. So uh, I'm going to just uh, wrap this up by asking for a couple of final thoughts on this broad ranging topic of learning experience. So what are some final thoughts as we ease our way out of this podcast? My final thought is this is what's happening. I mean, it just is what's happening. All we're doing in this podcast, which I've really enjoyed, by the way, is just providing some commentary, really, on what is going on. Everything's moving so fast to a world of learning in the flow of work, of distributed touch points for all operatives in business, whoever they are. Their learning is coming from a million different directions. And it's going to come from a million more because AIs come into the story. You know, we're hearing about people moving away from even the packages that existed before because SCORM may not be the answer. It isn't. You know, it's something else. And so all of this is doing is helping us recognize that change is great and change is happening. And there's a massive amount of opportunity out there. And let's kind of look around and, and use what we can. Great stuff. Ella, what's your final thoughts as we exit? I recently heard Marcus Buckingham, for those who know him, he's got some really brilliant books. I'm a positive psychologist and passionate about positive psychology. A quote that he shared is sticking with me and I feel like I want to share it here. He was saying, 
that careers are like a scavenger hunt for love mm. and I think the reason that that stuck with me is I was thinking yes and we want to be creating the kind of experiences for people at work and outside of it that are meaningful generally the reason that we get into this line of work is to have impact I feel hugely fortunate to be able to create change at scale and work alongside some incredibly talented people so I think for me my final thoughts are probably that the demand is that we are thoughtful and and challenge ourselves and and each other to think differently because really like we said earlier on you know at the beginning in today's world I'm not sure we can afford not to but it's a very exciting world to be in. Well, today's topic was learning experience, a new perspective on learning for the future. And Andrew and Ella, you have certainly delivered upon that promise. So on behalf of our global listening audience, I want to thank you for your time today. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Mike. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts, or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.